ultimately the problem with coalitions is not whether it creates value for the customer, it's whether the partners can play well together. Um, in Australia, there's an, an annual uh, loyalty program study that has flybys as the most popular program in Australia. So by that measure, by, by what Australian households think, then coalition loyalty is, is certainly not dead. Now, certainly the concept's not dead. It's not always the right answer, but it's certainly not dead. Uh, but you've got to start off with your business. What are you trying to achieve and what do your customers do see and what, what expect? and sometimes a coalition is the right answer and sometimes it's not, simple. Hi, I'm Ian Pringle. This is the Loyalty Podcast from New World Loyalty, where we help you make the most of your loyalty strategies by listening to us talk about what we like to talk about most, which is loyalty and loyalty programs. In this podcast, we'll explore if coalition loyalty model still has a future. In recent years, we've seen the closure of the Plenty Coalition loyalty program after many had tried to crack the US market. And also in 2018, we saw the sale of the Nectar program to Sainsbury's in the UK for just 16% of what Amy had purchased it for just 11 years earlier. So if it makes sense for all of us to collect points when we spend across a network of partners, why has this happened? And what is the future for the Coalition model? To help us explore this fascinating subject, I'm joined by a panel of experts with more than 100 years experience I have added it up, guys. I was just on your LinkedIn profiles. Um, and I know who's longest, by the way. I do know who's longest. Um, That's scary. <laughs> building, launching and managing coalition programs around the world. So please let me introduce uh, Caroline Papadatos from Canada. Hi, Caroline. Hello, everyone. Happy Hi. to join you. Brilliant. And uh, Phil Hawkins from Australia. Hi, Phil. Hi, Ian. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, good to be here. And another Phil. Now, this is going to be really confusing. We'll call him Phil G for this. Phil Gunter from Australia. Hi, Phil. Hello, Ian. And Ian Pringle from the UK. So, hi. To get things started tonight, can we each give a quick brief introduction to ourselves and just your experience in coalition loyalty? Caroline, how about you? Do you want to kick off with us? Sure. So, you know, long time, more years than I care to remember, uh, sort of in customer management and loyalty at Sears, uh, Rogers, Air Miles, and uh, ended my career at Loyalty One. Um, sort of in both B2B and B2C. Uh, in terms of specifically coalition, I joined uh, the Air Miles Reward Program in Canada in 1998 and had various roles in marketing, product development, client services, but I also managed our JVs. Uh, so worked with DOTS in Brazil, Brazil's largest coalition program, and then tested coalition propositions in India, in China, in South Africa, and by testing, I mean sort of designing coalitions in those countries on behalf of partners and, and selling into anchor partners to get them up and running. Um, and then also on the consulting practice, which I've been managing for the past 10 years or so, did a bunch of work on multi-partner coalition models in Asia, the UK actually for Virgin, uh, in Germany and in Northern Europe. So I've sort of been both on the operator side and, and on the client side and the marketing side of, of coalitions. Yeah, and in all sorts of different cultures too. So, you know, I know we met in, in Singapore and, and, and India actually on those journeys. So, and Phil, Phil Hawkins, how about you? Uh, well, I suppose I'm a, a loyalty pioneer in Australia really, because I started working on the Flybys program in 1993, about 18 months before it was launched. And that was Australia's first I suppose genuine coalition loyalty 
program. And I'm what you might describe a disloyal loyalty pra practitioner because I've left flybys twice, but come back. Um, so this is my third and arguably final uh, stint at flybys. <laughs> um, I'm uh, the chief uh, operations officer uh, there. Uh, naturally, I've taken an interest in coalition programs um, around the world because in some ways it's a lonely space. And so when you when you come across fellow professionals having the same challenges as you, as you, whether that be in, you know, nearby in New Zealand or far away in Canada or the UK, it's always been a fascination of mine to keep tabs um, with the coalition model. Yeah, perfect. And um, and you, Phil, Phil Gunter? Okay, so yeah, Phil Gunter. So I've been on here before, so I built... I built a coalition. We had four partners when I arrived and had uh, approaching 100 proper partners and another 300 online partners when I left. Um, but, but since then, running or part of New World Loyalty, when we advise on, on lots of clients in lots of different areas, and sometimes the answer is coalition, sometimes the answer is own program, sometimes the answer is something else altogether. Uh, so, so I've got a sort of a, quite a broad view on the whole subject. Yeah. And um, and I'm Ian Pringle again. I've been on the, all of the podcasts, <laughs> and uh, my experiences. I I started off actually at Shell when we launched Shell Smart, which was a sort of non-travel equivalent coalition equivalent to Air Miles, which was another currency within that program. And that had twelve partners in the UK and was a real kind of a, a, a vanguard of um, of probably nectar. And then um, and then I worked for, for I worked at EDF Energy, who was a partner of the nectar program in the UK. And then was with Air Miles and and which then became Avios in the UK. And then with them launched a coalition in South Africa with with Pick and Pay and BP, so the biggest grocer and one of the biggest petrol retailers in in South Africa. So I guess I've been around the block as well. And and for better and worse, actually, I've seen them. W win and and not win you know fail in, in 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 this space as well so i guess we've all we've all been around the block which is good news um so let's just kick off with a bit of loyalty theory so phil you're the you're the consultant amongst us why should coalitions work and what can you just give all the listeners a background to the the theory of coalitions okay well the theory is quite quite easy i think uh, by partnering with lots of different players it means that there's a better stronger proposition for the customer the customer can earn a reward much much quicker which means the program's got a much higher chance of being higher in their wallet. And we all know that to be impacting people's decisions, that a program needs to be one or two, at worst three in their wallet. And a coalition's got a much better chance of being, being up there. Um, but the other thing about a coalition, which is very different from a normal program, is it enables companies to fish in other people's ponds. A traditional owned loyalty program, you're rewarding your own customers. Well, by definition, you're, that's your own customers. A coalition, you can attract customers who are, who are members of the coalition, but not work members of you. So that makes a huge difference. So it's better. It should be better from the customer's point of view, but it should also be better from the from the company's point of view as well. And you said yourself at the beginning that you advise some customers coalitions the answers, and some so some clients coalitions the answers, some clients aren't. Can you elaborate on that, or, or anyone else like to say which categories it works better for or not? Well, I might jump in and say, just to add to, uh, to Phil's overview of what should work, I think the, it's worth pointing out that non-discretionary spend categories are, are sort of critical to the success of coalition. Um, so those are the everyday spend categories where people will shop in good times and bad. And as a result, they accumulate a lot more value and they ultimately derive a lot more benefit. And so if I'm answering your question, I'd say if if a client isn't in that 
uh, non-discretionary spend category, they should really think about, or they don't have the frequency or the spend to give a meaningful reward back to the customer, then it's probably not the right model for them. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I, I think there's two types of loyalty here. There's what I call active loyalty and, and, and reflected loyalty. Active loyalty meaning that if you're um, someone like Harley Davidson or Arsenal Football Club or someone like that, you know, you can you build your loyalty based on your brand. And I know Arsenal Football Club have a loyalty program, which is a by the by. But uh, whereas if you're a reflected, if you're if you're a petrol retailer, if you sold petrol that didn't make your car run, you'd take into court. You know, but, so you have to find a thing that differentiates yourself in that everyday spend, in which case they often look for the reflected loyalty of having a loyalty program and having a coalition loyalty program gives that reason to spend. And does that does that sort of is that is that does that help with that, Caroline? Yeah, but I I wouldn't um, I, I think you've you've presented the two ends of the spectrum. Yeah, so that's true. Yeah. Commodity category and highly sort of brand engaging category, but in the middle there are a lot of brands and and categories that want to build differentiation with their customers and and have successfully done so in a coalition model. I wouldn't say that by definition you can't be fully um, differentiated by participating in a coalition. And, and there are a lot of, I'd say, tools in the platform that actually enable that. I think starting with data, absolutely, you can be more relevant, more predictive, uh, and therefore create more value for your customers within a coalition. But if you don't have, again, it, it goes back to those, the fundamental mechanics of engagement. If you don't have spend and frequency, then you're always going to have one hand tied behind your back. I think just building on Caroline's point about non-discretionary spend too, it also plays into what I observed, and maybe this is when they work well, that there is some, you, when you end up with partners of, of a relatively equal size, that helps. Otherwise, there can be, well, hang on, I'm the one bringing all the customers to this program and you're, you're all feeding off that. Um, you get, you know, those types of inequalities and, you know, a bit of instability if, if the mix isn't right. I'm glad you said it, Phil. I think that, <laughs> that's, ultimately, that's ultimately the problem with coalitions is not whether it creates value for the customer. It's whether the partners can play well together. It's playing nicely. It's making the elephants dance. Now, who said that? I can't remember which, which famous famous person that's making these elephants dance. And Phil, to your point, you, you, so you work for Coles in Australia and most of your Coles brands are in it, but Bunnings aren't. I mean, is there, a, is there a, I guess this is an example of this because Bunnings aren't a small retailer and they're similar size to the others. Um, it's a little bit different to that now, um, Ian, because uh, two and a half years ago, uh, Wes Farms, which owns Bunnings, demerged Coles. And so we went from being Coles employees uh, back into a joint venture, which was our original um, life. And so we are a 50% joint venture of Wes Farmers uh, and Coles. And when you look at Wes Farmers, yes, their main retail brands are uh, Kmart and, and Target, uh, who have been in the program for a long time, and Bunnings, who are not. And Bunnings is uh, Australia's biggest hardware chain, um, you know, emerged as a kind of category killer type retailer. Very, very successful, very, very wedded to an everyday low price model. And probably best for me to summarise as our discussions are ongoing with them around, <laughs> um, uh, around the opportunity unusual. with flybys. 
And that's not unusual, Phil. You know, you see you see those coalitions around the world where there may be one or two brands that don't join for good strategic reasons, too. So it's not as again, I think it illustrates what we're saying here is that coalitions make sense in theory, but actually there's lots of strategic reasons why why they might not and um, yeah. why they're not why they don't fit every brand. Can I right. challenge one of the points already made? Because one of the points made that coalitions don't work for people who have low spend and low frequency. Right. And that would absolutely be the case if you're thinking about being the major, the major player in a coalition. But if you are a smaller player that has a very infrequent spend, then often a coalition is the best option. Right? So, because if, if you have an infrequent spend, often it makes it really difficult to make your own program. So it knocks out your, your, your ability to have your own program that actually works. Uh, and then if your primary objective is to acquire customers, a coalition is a good option, but only coming back to the other thing you're talking about, only if the coalition plays nicely and gives you enough marketing support. Absolutely. So being... I think you see that a lot with frequent flyer programs where there's uh, like all partners are equal, but some are more equal than others. And <laughs> sure. you know, a, a major partner in a frequent flyer program will get a lot of marketing airtime for some of the smaller ones you wouldn't even know that they are a partner of the program because, well, they get next to no marketing airtime is my observation. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and as, you, as you'll know, manage, balancing the multiple partners is the hardest thing about running a program. Yeah. Uh, but my, my approach was always to be transparent. I, I, I never over-promised on the way in uh, because that's, it's easy to over-promise and get people in and then, and then have the arguments. We always under-promised, but my, man, it, it, it's difficult. But, but data, data was the answer. The, the more, as data improved and we were able to segment communications more and, and, and offer A, more relevant stuff to the customer, but B, more variety, because some of these smaller players, they didn't want to get communicated to 10 million people. They actually wanted much smaller groups. So it came down to our capacity to deliver that. But, but it was an ever-growing operational challenge to do so. Yeah, so Carol, you've seen um, programs all around the world and, and been involved in many markets. Um, so could you just give a sort of summary of what the current state of coalitions is? You know, it's a tricky subject, but, you know, if you go around the markets and say where you think the world is with this. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. There are some successes like air miles in Canada or flybys or payback in Germany. Um, but then, you know, there's a, unfortunately a, a burial ground of coalitions that are limping along. Well, plenty isn't limping along anymore, but, you know, I would say Airmiles Netherlands is a great example, you know, where they, the partners ended up being the controlling shareholders and they, they are not equally disposed to invest. And, and as a result, you get an unbalanced value proposition for other partners and ultimately an unbalanced value proposition for customers. And then you see what happened actually with Plenty and, and is happening with some other coalitions around the world the introduction of the element of choice, which is we don't want to force our customers to all be in one program. So we're going to give them a choice, which automatically reduces your penetration by, by a mile. Um, and that's really the slow death of a coalition program is when you start to say to your customers, you could choose one of multiple loyalty propositions and coalition is just one of them uh, because it no longer becomes central to the brand. Um, and you're forcing your customers to do all the work to figure out various value propositions. And most customers just don't have the time or disposition to do that. 
Um, but we're also seeing some interesting moves in, in other parts of the world. Intermiles is an example, which was an Indian coalition. Then they lost Jet Air Airlines, and they've been they've been refashioning themselves as a coalition as a frequent flyer program without an airline. Um, and Dots is another interesting example. They went from being a retail coalition to now they've migrated to becoming a super app, which is interesting because they started as a digital coalition, became a retail coalition, and then they're migrating to a digital proposition again. So I, I would say the model is changing and the inputs are changing. Certainly data collection and data sharing and access uh, and the protocols around that just with uh, with the management of privacy and customer data overall, there's probably more that's changing uh, than, than staying the same. Mm. And I'd say today I get most of my interest level in coalition comes from conglomerates, mostly I'd say a lot from Asia, where conglomerates say, well, I, I, own, a, I own an auto parts company and I own a a cosmetics company. So since I have two, I'm, I'm obviously uh, saying this for fun, but since I have two customer facing companies, I'm going to join them together with a common points program, which is not necessarily the basis for a successful coalition. And I probably spend more time these days talking people out of a coalition than into it. Um, so where do you think, the, the, going back to the ones where you think it's worked best, so Canada, Australia, you know, why do you think those particularly have, have succeeded? I mean, Phil, do you want to take that one? Because you, you, you've definitely seen great success with, with, with flybys in Australia. I, I think a lot of it does revolve around the ownership. And when it is a joint venture, you really need an aligned vision and trust amongst partners in the, in the joint venture ownership. And so, um, and, and I can play directly uh, into what Caroline said around um, observing where there's not the, the, sh the shared interest in investment, um, which uh, did impact uh, flybys a number of years ago. When we were under, we were under Coles 100% ownership, it was a very interesting time because clearly it was the one entity driving flybys, but in terms of coalition, uh, at that time, this is 2012 to 2018, Coles really saw the benefit of maintaining the coalition that rather than making it just, you know, Coles focused. And they, they, they did appreciate that having a wide set of partners created that halo effect that benefited all partners, um, including Coles. And now again, when we're back in a joint venture, you know, it, it does put, again, pressure on making sure there is aligned uh, vision and trust between the owners and, uh, and, and you know, that, that will generate success. That's, that's my reflection uh, in Flybys in Australia over in New Zealand, where they, uh, it's a different kind of joint venture because it's traditionally always had um, four owners. Uh, again, it's, it's worked well, even though the partner set um, is, is, is quite different um, because when Flybys launched in Australia, we picked up a lot of retail spend across a smaller number of very major brands. Because that didn't exist in New Zealand, then they were faced with a challenge of having to recruit a, a, a larger number of smaller brands, which puts a lot of pressure on your business development and re-signing partners mm -hmm. and a lot of activity there. 
but you know that program has also been durable you know flybys in australia 26 years old flybys in new zealand 24 years old they have been durable the competition has increased with both substantially you know for many years coles major supermarket competitor woolworths didn't have anything in loyalty and over the years they've established a program that started off as a single retailer program um, and in recent years has taken on some coalition partners and and you know i could say imitation is the greatest form of flattery because you know their success i would probably in a biased fashion say is is uh, in due due in part to them copying the flybys model like a coalition model so having said that phil i guess the the key question for people outside the industry i've often people come to me and say why is why isn't doing coalition so easy? Why isn't it like, why don't they exist everywhere? And why aren't they easy to launch? I mean, Caroline, you're smiling. I can see you on the, um, because there are so, I mean, go, go on, Caroline. What makes it so hard? I think it, it actually is a broader question than, it's a broader question even than coalition. Um, and I think it's one that a lot of companies are going to have to face in the, call it the next couple of years. And that's this notion of um, co-competition or how companies can work together, even when they might have one aspect of their business that is competitive, but for the most part, their core business is not competitive. And as we see, you know, more and more services go to the cloud and more and more integrations needed. When you think about a CMO has to look at 17 different categories of technology, all those technologies need to somehow integrate integrate to create that end-to-end -end customer experience, that means that all of your partners need to play well together. Mm. Um, and I think it's a challenge for CMOs and it's a challenge for coalition operators to get their partners to see sort of the forest for the trees and say, you know, you, you aren't competitive for the, for the principal parts of your business. Set aside the areas where you're competitive and focus on engaging your customers in a meaningful way. Um, and that, that is really the, the business of business development, let's say, to get partners to come on board is to get them to set aside that, that distraction of competition and focus on the benefits that can be realized when you integrate capabilities and, and come together as one. But it, it's not an easy job. And that's why it can take years to get yep. partners to play together. And my experience is, you know, having someone like Keith Mills to come in there and say, you're a petrol retailer, you're a grocer, you're a convenience retailer, and getting them to agree that because once it gets down to the management levels of agreeing a contract and agreeing those exclusivity clauses, that's where the house of cards falls apart. Because... Exactly, because the petrol retailer says, well, I have C stores. And yeah. the grocer says, well, I have two fuel stations. So therefore, we can't play. Or the fuel station has a partnership with some other grocery grocer person which is in their fuel and then and then it's in that level of detail that you have to then chunk it back up and say no you're a petrol retailer and most of your sites have this and that and we can deal with these edge cases because otherwise you just end up in a mire and mo a lot of them fail because of that reason i think the second <laughs> issue uh is data yeah and and where keith mills when when he was selling this proposition what almost Air Miles Canada's 
29 years old. So call it 30 years ago, the, the principal value that a coalition brought was access to data. And now as we see Google uh, replacing cookies in, in the coming year and everybody fighting for first party data, the first question that I get from companies is, who owns the data? How do I access the data? How do I keep all the data? And sorting your way through that proposition around data sharing is, um, is problematic. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's problematic. And I often find that we're arguing over quite small things in that if you ask, say, I've done, I know because I've done the data request. If you go and ask the data companies on the, on the GDPR, give me all the data that you have. And I get the data from, say, Nectar or from Avios or from, or from the, the first party programs. The amount of data that they actually have is actually reasonably disappointing because they don't have the basket. They've just got how many points you've earned. So in some ways you're you're arguing over quite, I know everyone thinks that loyalty programs are tracking everything that you do, but but they're not storing all of that. The actual, that, that, that basket data is often owned by the companies themselves and not the loyalty company. So, you know, it's, it is a bit of a strange one, but you're right, Caroline. I think it's, a, it, it's, it's a, those two challenges of can we play nicely together and who owns the data? That's enough to kill months and months of work <laughs> you know so just let, let just to finish off then can we go around i mean i don't want to let, limit it to a one word answer but is coalition loyalty marketing dead who wants to kick that one off phil hawkins you you you've burst your career on it so you know well uh australia um in australia there's an, an annual uh, loyalty program study that has flybys as the most popular program in australia so by that measure by by what australian households think then coalition loyalty is is certainly not dead i mean there are a lot of challenges one that we haven't discussed today is what uh, a coalition program would um traditionally bring particularly to uh, bricks and mortar retailers was well actually we've got the contact details of your customers with the explosion in online, that is less the case because, you know, the the high street retailers who now have a significant online presence, they are collecting all of that uh, customer contact data themselves, and so, you know, that that is a challenge to the hey, we we know all your customers and we can contact them. And uh, sorry, Phil, sorry, Phil that Gunter? was that, that wasn't a one word answer. Sorry, yeah. no, <laughs> I was never expecting one. <laughs> and uh, Phil, Phil Gunter, what do you think? Now, certainly the concept's not dead. It's not always the right answer, but it's certainly not dead. Uh, but you've got to start off with your business. What are you trying to achieve and what do your customers do see and what, what expect? And sometimes a coalition is the right answer and sometimes it's not. Simple. Yep. And Caroline, do you think we're going to see one fail before we see one launch? Well, I, I, I want to start by saying I, I don't think the model is dead and certainly attest to the fact that in Canada, Airmiles is 29 years old and still one of the most popular programs. If anything, Canada has more coalitions per capita than probably any other country in the world. Um, so, you know, we have the SCENE program, we have the Aeroplan program, we have Airmiles, we have um, Loblaws has got a, a Shoppers Optimum program. So yes, they are alive and well in this part of the world. Um, but I do think it's a model that is under reconstruction. And I, and I think it's the next generation of coalition. I, I think multi-partner is here to stay. And this, co this notion of co-competition is the beginning of, of a new world of possibilities. We're seeing it already in retail media platforms. But I, I think it's up to coalition operators to conceive of the next generation of coalitions. I think the, the Keith Mills model served us well. It, it's time for the next model. 
Well, thank you very much, guys. That's all we've got time for tonight. So thank you. Thanks for getting thanks. us together, Ian. It's been yeah, good to see us all again. And next time we'll have a beer together. Fantastic. For sure. <laughs> if you like this podcast, please like, share or comment on LinkedIn. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks then. And goodbye. Thanks.